Hello. This is WVEWLP Brattleboro, 107.7 FM, your community radio station. Also streaming online at WVEW.org. Sorry for the background noises here. (laughs) Uh, You are listening to Indigo Radio, deepening understanding and making connections. We are streaming noon at noon every Sunday. We are a group of educators seeking to learn through engaging with others in our community and throughout the world. The views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the host and guests, not of the radio station. Welcome to Indigo Radio. Today we are spending the hour talking about the ongoing resistance of Standing Rock and local indigenous struggles. I'm Becca Polk, a middle school teacher in Springfield, Vermont. And I am Anna Milani. Uh, I'm a local educator and... Um, I also work at the Women's Freedom Center, which is the local domestic and sexual violence organization in town. We're also here in the studio with Rhonda Anderson. Rhonda is a Inupiaq Athabascan indigenous woman from Alaska, living nearby Coleraine, Massachusetts. And Rhonda was born in Fairbanks, Alaska, but she's lived in New England most of her life. And I also just want to say that, Rhonda, you are our first live guest in the studio. We're so excited to have you here. Thank you. (laughs) So welcome to the show. Thank you. So, Rhonda, um, if you just want to say hello to our listeners out there, and also, we know that you just recently got back from Standing Rock, uh, which we... We're going to get to that, but before we hear about your experience there, we um, want to talk about just briefly some of the updates from Standing Rock since the December 4th um, decision, the historic ruling by the Army Corps that halted that pipeline. Pagalagusi. Hello. Good morning. So I would say halted is, is a really strong word. Uh, I believe that the Army Corps of Engineers has actually asked for an environmental impact statement and not allowing that process to drill under Lake Oahe to continue at the moment without an environmental impact study. So the, the easement was not granted. So the pipeline has not been halted. That's very important to uh, distinguish the difference between the two things. Yeah, that's a good point. Thanks for that clarification. Um, also, the the other thing that I was looking into is that thinking about Donald Trump um, and that his pick um, for the energy department, Rick Perry, who is known to, um, he's also serving on the board of energy transfer partners, right? Mm-hmm. And so thinking about that and who else Trump has, is putting around him, um, also the CEO, Rex Tiller, Tillerson of ExxonMobil as Secretary of State pick, if you have any thoughts on that and thinking about what might go forward with um, this easement, as you say. Well, <clears throat> I'm certainly no, uh, I'm not legal counsel. I certainly, this would just be in my humble opinion, but um, in my humble opinion, I think that this is uh, very dangerous for uh, DAPL to go through. I think, I'm sorry, it's, it's, it's pretty dangerous for the Standing Rock Sioux. Um, Trump administration has already made motions to privatize Indian land. Um, they've already made statements that they will push through um, the energy transfer partners um, easement. Um, so I think it's, it's 
environmentally it's is very dangerous um, and it does look like uh, they're going to try to push this through although it's it's important to understand that these restrictions are in place now and it will take a lot of work and a lot of time to undo these restrictions um, so they're there's no way around it. They do need to have an environmental impact study mm -hmm. done. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that's going to take months. Yeah. Um, and it's, I believe, from what I understand, it takes about 90 days to drill under Lake Oahe. So there is that time factor as well. Um, and January 1st, the drilling company, their contract is up. So it looks like there's going to be a few months of trying to scramble to get everything together to continue the work. Okay. There's another thing I want to ask you about. Uh, I'm just going to read this. This came from an article I was um, looking at that said, and this was soon after that easement was granted, like after December 4th, and then talking about how the pipeline said that they're going to go forward with the construction. And what was said was, there's one legal way for the Obama administration to ensure that the pipeline is never built through Standing Rock but it's a risky move that could hinder future protection of federal land. President Barack Obama could use the Antiquities Act of 1906 to designate the land around the contested area as a national monument. This would ensure permanent protection for the area and force energy transfer partners to find another route. Do you have any thoughts on that? I think that would be that would be one way to get it done. I think it's also really important to understand tribal sovereignty and to recognize the Treaty of 1851 that this was actually uh, never ceded to begin with. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think going back further than 1906 is 1851, and to recognize um, that we do need to uphold uh, treaty law. Yeah, I think that your point there goes to so much of sort of the United States of amnesia and, and not thinking about actually the history and, and, like you said, going back farther than 1906. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Becca, you want to add something? Well, I was just thinking about um, do we, of course, the indigenous sovereignty is the foremost issue in this um, and with the rewriting of the pipeline, I just think about it's going then going into someone else's community. And we know that um, just on December 5th, there was a oil spill, an oil leak that was found out in Belfield, North Dakota, about mm -hmm. two and a half hours west of Standing Rock. And slowly, the faulty pipeline has been leaking 176,000 gallons of crude oil into the creek. And so I just think about how much... Um, the struggle highlights needing to be against oil pipelines in general across anyone's land. Absolutely. And um, I believe Dave Archambeau II, uh, the tribal chair of Standing Rock Sioux, has already made a statement that it's not acceptable for rerouting. The only acceptable solution would be to stop the pipeline, that there is no safe way to guarantee uh, water if there's pipelines running through it or across it. We are actually, um, we're going to go to a quick song break, and uh, we're going to be back with Rhonda Anderson to hear about your time at, in North Dakota at Standing Rock. Um, so we're going to go to that stand up, um, Stand and Rock. 
This is WVEWLP Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station. Also streaming online at WVEW.org. You are listening to Indigo Radio, deepening understanding, making connections, streaming every noon, streaming noon every Sunday. And you can also find us on Facebook to see links to our past shows. So we are here with Rhonda Anderson in our studio. Rhonda, can you tell us a little bit about uh, your time at Standing Rock? Oh, my goodness. That's just so full. Um, (laughs) First of all, I want to thank my neighbor, uh, Jonathan, for connecting with me that he was going out to Standing Rock. And and in turn, I asked my friend Anthony, um, I cannot imagine traveling with two other people in a few square feet for 34 hours at a time and still come out of it stronger. So I want to thank that, uh, my friends, for allowing that to happen. I think that was really important. And it also spoke to the synchronicity that I felt there. Um, I believe uh, our individual experiences were really rich and powerful, but as a whole, we really understood that we had a purpose there. Every action, every interaction we had was very meaningful. And we went there to give of ourselves entirely, and we came away from it with so much more um, as individuals. And and, and in some ways, it it feels guilty. Uh, I was there. We left the Tuesday. uh, So what day was that? I think of Sunday, November 20th, as this huge day in the timeline of Achete Shakoin. And, and that was the the bridge, the backwater bridge, mm-hmm. where they were trying to remove some burned-out vehicles. And the Morton County Sheriff's Department showed up and really unleashed a vast amount of... Um, weapons against the protectors and that was spraying of water cannons at 20 degrees or less um, concussion grenades um, mace Mm. uh, lots of less lethal rounds were shot into the crowd um, for over eight hours this was happening so th- we left the Tuesday after with that in our minds mm-hmm. and in our hearts and really preparing for the worst. And some of us in our group, we, we all had this agreement that we were not going to go to the front line. We all have loved ones waiting for us or jobs that need us, and we weren't going to put ourselves at risk, but we were going to make ourselves available in any way we could to give other people a break. And... Uh, right away, let's see, so we arrived there after traveling for about two days. We arrived Wednesday late afternoon and pulling up over the hill and seeing the encampment was just gave me the shivers. It was the most beautiful thing, brought tears to my eyes. And at the gate, they ask you, do you have any drugs or alcohol? No. Do you have a place to stay? And if you do not, do you have a way of keeping warm, a four-season tent? Do you have zero-degree bags? Um, And answering yes to that, they said, welcome home. Wow. And that was a really powerful moment for all of us. We really felt 
welcome, and we really felt at home. Uh, that being said, there was 10,000 people there during that week, Thanksgiving week. And for me, it was a little surprising to see that as Native people, we were a minority there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was gorgeous to see so many people with their heads up, faces up, present, greeting, smiling, making sure every need was met. Are you hungry? Let's go get you something to eat. Um, are you warm? Do you need anything? These were all questions that were just asked of you randomly, and it was so beautiful. Um, we walked around for a bit Wednesday night, set up our camp, which was uh, on the Cannonball River, away from a lot of the main camp. Uh, we were next to the Crow Creek Riders, which uh, you might see a lot of footage of horses. Yeah. So these are the, the the horse nation, the spirit riders. And a lot of their horses are not corralled. They they sort of do their own thing. Mm. And as I was setting up camp, I heard somebody behind me and I turn around and there's five horses just staring at me, <laughs> sort of welcoming me to their space. <laughs> in, the, in the middle of the night, Wednesday night, I could hear something outside my tent. So I took out my earplug and yes, you need earplugs there. So I took out my earplug and there was a horse eating right by my head. <laughs> um, <clears throat> So Thursday morning, that would be the the no Thanksgiving, we woke up and made coffee. We made sure that we were Mm -hmm. self-sufficient. I made coffee and breakfast, and we decided to head into camp to see what we could do. And right away, there was, at the meeting fire, over the PA system, there was an announcement that all women, children, and elders needed to report to the the dome, which is sort of a, a huge meeting area for Chate Shakui. And as soon as that announcement was made, the microphone got ripped out of the hands and said, you need to do this like it was yesterday. This is an emergency. You need to do this now. Wow. And so there was a lot of fear and panic, you know. Um, the camp was being raided, we were told, oh. that we needed to move all the women, children, and elders to Standing Rock side. Hmm to the reservation side of the river and we would have a meeting first so right then I thought oh gosh this is it you know we're already being split up and Mm -hmm. so I gave hugs to my traveling companions and we'll figure this out you know how we can get in touch with each other later and um, I went to the dome and we were told to leave so I said okay you know I went back to the car and I thought about it really thought about it. And I asked of my neighbors who seemed very well situated, ready for winter. I said, does this happen often? I said, every week it happens. You know, nothing's, nothing's going to happen here. You're well protected here. Nobody's going to come and raid this place. And I really felt that I sat down and I thought about it and I thought, you know what? We are protected here. We're protected in prayer. And just as I said that this pickup truck goes by with these women and they're singing and they're 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 praying and they have huge amounts of sage and they're just basically crop dusting and everyone with prayer Mm. and I felt you know this is this is a protected space and we will be fine so I I did get in the car and I drove to the center of the camp 
and I got out and I made myself useful. I went to the medic area and asked a lot of questions Mm -hmm. and realized what their needs were and how I could meet them. And I donated a lot of clothes to the tent uh, where people get contaminated by water cannons or mace, uh, pepper spray. It's where they get changed um, into warm clothes. Um, I made sure that our food was donated to the medic tents um, because security and medics are often on the job for 18 hours or more a day in the cold weather, and they need to have their own food. Uh, made sure that the medicines that I was bringing from people, so many people packed belongings from their loved ones that recently passed away or lovingly created herbal remedies, and I wanted to make sure that they were where they needed to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wasn't going to leave until I knew that, say, Kathy's... Um, fire cider found its home in the medic tent Uh, so needless to say I sort of got to know my way around pretty well and my traveling companions ended up doing a direct action to have a prayer on Turtle Island and their experience was really powerful as well Uh, my friend Anthony was holding the bridge he saw that the bridge was moving and the ropes were just laying on the ground so we picked them up and he realized this is it this is what I'm doing Mm -hmm. and he stood there holding the rope for five or six hours so that 500 people could cross the bridge to pray and my other traveling companion Jonathan lit a fire to keep people warm and to pray on the other side on Turtle Island and when they were done uh, they were so overwhelmed with emotion um each one of them had sort of collapsed to their knees and started crying. And they were both quickly surrounded by people putting hands on their shoulders and telling them it was okay, that they were loved. And I think for me, that was one of the most powerful moments. I had such pride for them that they could do that and allow so many other people to take part in prayer. The, the camp, the entire camp was just immersed in prayer. Um, you had the morning wake-up call at 6.30 with an elder singing a prayer. Mm-hmm. There was a water ceremony every morning. Hundreds of people would show up for that. Uh, Inipi ceremonies, sweat lodges. Um, even direct actions were prayer. Mm-hmm. Everything was immersed in prayer. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful, Rhonda. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Um, we're gonna. This is Indigo Radio. We're gonna take a quick song break and come back to talk about the how the struggle is still continuing at Standing Rock. Um, this is a tribe called Red. The song is Black Snakes. This is WVEWLP Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station. Also streaming online at WVEW.org. You are listening to Indigo Radio, deepening understanding, making connections. Streaming at noon every Sunday. You can also find us at Facebook. Uh, so we are here with Rhonda Anderson. Thank you again so much for describing your time at Standing Rock. It sounds like a very beautiful experience that you had there. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, how do you see the struggle continuing, both the struggle against the DAPL but in particular, but also pipelines in general, and the struggle for 
uh, indigenous sovereignty, as you mentioned earlier on the show? Oh my goodness. <clears throat> I think you nailed every one of those aspects. Um, this is, I think, Ochete Shakoin and the struggle with Standing Rock Sioux um, is a microcosm of, of a lot of the different <clears throat> subtleties that Native Americans that we, that we face today are struggles um, <clears throat> with sovereignty, uh, direct and meaningful consultation, um, their sovereign-to-sovereign nation communication that, that was dismissed. Um, so, let's see, the struggle, the struggle is going to continue. Um, this, is, this is not only um, about DAPL, but it's also about our, how, how our resources are commodified, um, our food system is Monsanto, or Nestle has declared that water is not a human right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it's it's a, it's a microcosm of larger things that our human rights are becoming property mm-hmm. uh, of corporations, and uh, for Dapple to use um, the the what would you call it for um, uh, infrastructure to take uh, eminent domain, that's, that's not right. Mm-hmm. This is a business. This is not infrastructure. This is not electricity. This is, uh, this is important for other people to realize how we're all connected in that way, that we all have pipelines going through our watershed, mm-hmm. um, that, we are, that we're all connected um, through, through water. Um, so... How can I say? <laughs> mm-hmm. So this this is going to continue. You know, the Ochete Shakoin. There's still about a thousand people that are that are in camp, and they are not going anywhere. Um, and it's not because they enjoy camping at 40 below. It's because the struggle is going to continue. And everybody that has been at Ochete Shakoin uh, has come away with the fact that we are all vulnerable. All of us as human beings, when we uh, put our water at risk mm-hmm. uh, through the different pipelines. I mean, there's pipelines going through here. I'm, I'm not sure which ones at the moment, but I remember AIM pipeline is fairly local in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Um, and that will be crossing the Connecticut River, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, a big, that's a big problem as yeah. well. Um, so it's, it's important to... to take a look at all of the struggles, all of the pipelines and how they're, they are affecting you and your local communities and what you can do as well. Um, and also from a standing rock point, this is <coughs> no dapple December where you can divest, um, to take action against different banks that are, uh, major investments in, in making sure that, that, that dapple is constructed. Uh, TD bank has been taking a big hit lately. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just, um, I don't know, making sure that you, you still continue to support uh, Ochete Shakoin Camp and the legal aspects. Uh, Standing Rock Sioux will be fighting uh, legal battles for years mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah. Um, so I made sure that we, we did a, a, a small benefit on Friday and all of the proceeds went to the Standing Rock Sioux uh, the legal aspect and uh, Ochete Shakoin camp 
Uh, they're still needing support. They're still needing firewood, propane uh, structures to withstand the weather. The horses, uh, the, a lot of the horses are right now on two different rides across North Dakota, South Dakota, into uh, Minnesota. Um, but they still have horses there um, mm -hmm. as horse nations. They take the horses with them. So Yeah. I, um, Winona LaDuke came to Keene mm -hmm. a couple weeks ago, mm -hmm. and one thing that she mentioned that you're kind of reminding me of is that um, on the Standing Rock Sioux land, there's two of the poorest counties in the nation, and so that all the people that have supported the struggle against the North Dakota pipeline mm -hmm. can continue <laughs> to support the struggles even after, hopefully, the pipeline is defeated once and for all, um, thinking about clean water in general and adequate housing and ways to get energy from other sources than fossil fuels. So, so I think the continued support mm -hmm. that you're mentioning. Oh, continued support. Absolutely. And the Sacred Stone Camp, there's three main camps uh, that are involved. Ochete Shakuin, which I believe now is being called Ochete Oyate, mm -hmm. All Nations Camp which is the main camp. It's, it's the larger one. It used to be the overflow, but it became the larger camp. Uh, there's the Sinkanju Rosebud Camp, which is right across the river uh, on tribal land. And next to that is Sacred Stone Camp. And that's on LaDonna Allard's private property. And it looks as though they're going to be eco-villages. They're going to be uh, planned villages to be... Um, you know, it's entirely sustainable, off the grid, uh, and educational points. So there will be schools there that will be educating on environmental issues, um, indigenous youth issues. Uh, so that that's going to continue. That's not going anywhere. Mm, that's exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's 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 really important to also understand the environmental racism that's in play, which mm -hmm. you had mentioned that, you know. Um, the Standing Rock Sioux has the, the lowest, the, you know, 76% unemployment. Mm -hmm. Housing is not the greatest. So there's no mistaking that this is where the pipeline was getting put through. Mm -hmm. It was initially slated to go above Bismarck, and that was contested. And so it went to where its current location is. And there's no mistake that that was environmental racism at play. Yeah. I teach middle schoolers, and I showed them a video talking about that, and they said, um, one of them said to me, how can our first black president allow such racism to happen? They, when they found out that it was first slated through Bismarck and then moved, mm -hmm. it was really clear to my students who are majority white but also poor, mm -hmm. seeing that they have to be against the racism that's occurring. Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> so we'll go to another song break. And then we'll come back to talk about Rhonda Anderson's work here locally. That was Cherokee Morning Song by Ulali. And you are listening to WVEWLP Brattleboro Community Radio 107.7, which is also streaming online um, if you go to WVEW.org. And this is Indigo Radio every Sunday at noon. Um, I am Anna Milani here with Becca Polk. Also, shout out to Corey Sorensen, who's doing the board today. Mm -hmm. Hey, Corey. Um, mm -hmm. We are here with 
We're here with Rhonda Anderson. Thank you for being in the studio with us today, uh, talking about Standing Rock. And also, I know that you do a lot of work in the community around um, indigenous issues and do some education. So mm -hmm. we would love to hear about that. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, First of all, I think it's really important to just get out there that I'm not a paid protester. <laughs> there, is, is there, such a thing, right? <laughs> there is such a thing, apparently. Um, <laughs> although I'd like to know where my money is. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, I'm, I'm an activist, not because I want to be one, but because I was born Native American. Um, so um, I'm an activist, not by choice. Um, and I educate when and wherever I can uh, because it's it's expected of me and it's needed um, gosh so my plate has been really full as of late uh, usually this is November October November December Native Americans are no longer invisible we have that visibility um, for for Native American month which is November and all of a sudden we're, we we want to be heard and be seen. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. uh, so one of the things that I've I've been working on uh, it is it's funny. A, a friend of mine, Amalia, she said, "How do you how do you keep everything straight?" I said, "I don't. I, I work on this panic mode. Oh my gosh, am I missing something? Should I be somewhere?" <laughs> uh, so I've been working with a group of folks. Um, navigating the mascot change in Turner's Falls. Um, so mascot, imagery, logo, whatever's the, the term that you choose to use. Um, they go by the Turner's Falls Indians, and there is an image of a plains uh, headdressed man uh, that doesn't identify anybody that would have lived in Turner's Falls that was Native American, um, which is who they are claiming to honor. Um, and with that, it's not mirroring who Native American people are and the cultures. Um, we have, there's over 566 federally recognized tribes right now in the United States. Um, and we're all vibrant, living changing different cultures, different languages, different people. We all look differently. Um, there's no one way to look Native American. And this sort of imagery is very damaging to not only Native American students, there's empirical evidence as such, but um, as well to non-Native students who have a false identity towards or connection to Native people, and it's not really serving the community well. So we've been, um, I've been sort of, uh, I should say, navigating the Native community with some folks in Turner's Falls. Um, who's legitimate? Who, who do you talk to? What are the nations that are local? Um, who would be a good person to talk to? That sort of thing. Um, I've also worked with um, a good friend of mine, Tracy, Tracy Benali, shout out, um, at Smith. She's a student at Smith who put together um, a wonderful talk about Native American feminism. I think it was last week. I don't know. My days are 
blending together. And that was that a panel? I think I saw yes. that. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't go to it, but I knew that that was happening. That was really powerful. And um us ladies on the panel, we looked at the questions and we thought, wow, question number one could take up the entire two hours. Right. You know, there's so there is so many layers to indigenous feminism and indigenous identity and indigenous issues. Um peeling them back can take hours and it's it's it was a very powerful panel we had uh great questions by the folks in the audience and um i really i really enjoy uh having people listen to native american issues and we're we're so invisible most of the time uh people don't really understand that we're at the bottom of every bad or at the top of every bad list <laughs> and getting that out there and having that awareness is, is really important. Um, I've sat on a number of different panels um, regarding Native American women's issues, reproductive issues, feminism issues. Um, I've helped uh, after school community um, do a project in which they the the Turner's I mean I'm sorry the Mohawk Trail students were doing a documentary on why the Mohawk Trail is called the Mohawk Trail and that was that was pretty interesting as well um you know Rhonda I was thinking because you had mentioned it we were talking before the show and I work in um domestic and sexual violence Mm -hmm. um around this area I work at a crisis center and Mm -hmm. From my work, I know that, you know, oftentimes people use the statistics. They'll say something like one in five women have experienced rape, sexual violence. Mm-hmm. But I also know that when it comes to Native American women, it's one in three, I believe. And I know that you had mentioned coming from Alaska, mm-hmm. you said something like three out of four. Is yeah, that right? The, the rates are really hard to nail down because not everything gets reported. Yeah. Uh, So we're looking at rates as high as three out of four Native American women have suffered from sexual assault, sexual abuse, or rape. And uh, worked on a panel, a roundtable out of Austin, Texas. It was Indigenous Women's uh, Health Resource Center, Native American Women's Resource Center. My my mind is not working right now. And we were discussing how the Hyde Amendment was not being used in Indian Health Services, IHS, which would be hospitals uh, within Native communities. Um, Out of 25 years, 24 abortions were performed, and I believe 20 of those were out of the Navajo Reservation. And since we have the highest rates of of rape, um, that's a big problem. And so we were trying to figure out a way to address that and how to make sure that the Hyde Amendment was being upheld through the community, through the IHS, through the government. And it was a very powerful roundtable. And and we came up with a brochure that was sent out to all operating IHS within um, the United States. Yeah, and the other thing I feel important to point out at least from my understanding, that also when it comes to rape and, and sexual assault of Native women, that it's 
way like disproportionately non-native men exactly. that are the perpetrators mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and actually probably <clears throat> predominantly white men mm-hmm. and i and i think it's important to talk about that too and then there's the um thing of how ha- you know if it doesn't happen on tribal land right there's, there's <clears throat> absolutely a the, the violence against there. women's act um vawa violence against women's act was recently passed about two years ago i believe yeah. where for the first time women who were assaulted by non-native men which happens more more often than not um could could prosecute um Having tribal sovereignty, that means having your own tribal court, tribal law, police officers, and that system is not allowed to prosecute non-Native people, and that became sort of a, a hotbed for um, for people who who were uh, who were going to assault women. Um, so now, with the Violence Against Women Act. Uh, these these assaults can be reported and prosecuted. Um, it's it's a huge step, um, and hopefully hopefully the predators are are not um, seeking women off of tribal land. It's also important to realize um, Ochete Shakowin is run by. I wanted to make this point: run by uh, women. So there's elders and there's women that are calling all the shots here. Um, Women are the water protectors in most Native nations and cultures. And and with that, not only are their actions being held, but also understanding um, how the man camps uh, with the DAPL workers are affecting the Native communities locally. So that murdered and missing Indigenous women uh, movement is making their way into Acheti Shakuin. And also um, there was uh, a, a demonstration or... A, a movement that was that was done at the man camps, uh, I believe it was last month, uh, to bring that awareness that most most people are not aware of the the human trafficking that happens when these pipelines are being built. Yeah, that's a good point too. That, that and that hasn't been much in the discussion around no. that either. No, it hasn't. Uh, Rhonda, we need to take a quick break. And um, we're going to go to Buffy St. Marie, sing our own song, and we'll be um, back to wrap up the hour with you. Thank you. Hello, everyone. This is WVEW Brattleboro, um, sorry, 107.7. You're listening to Indigo Radio. You can find us on Facebook, and we're also streaming live every Sunday. We are here with Rhonda Anderson. We've spent the hour listening to her talk about um, what's currently happening at Standing Rock and the easement, not the halting, of the pipeline, as well as her experience being there the week of day, the week of day of mourning, and then her work here on Native American reproductive rights and education rights. And the last thing, Rhonda, we'd like to ask you is. How can people be in solidarity with these indigenous struggles that are happening? How can you be in solidarity? Um, being a water protector in your own community um, is really important to understand what's happening to your own watershed and how we're all connected in that way. Um, 
you know, where I'm from in Coleraine, where I live, we are connected to the Deerfield River watershed. And understanding that the Deerfield River is one of the most used rivers in this country, where we have 10 dams in seven miles, I believe. I may have that backwards. But it's the most used river in this country. And how does that affect our water quality? How does that affect our biology within the river? Um, And also knowing all the communities that are connected through that watershed and that we're also connected to the Connecticut River Mm -hmm. and the pipelines that are proposed to go under the Connecticut River. Um, It's it's important to to make sure that we can monitor our water quality as well. Um, It's it's important to understand that one of the things that I I came away with at at Ochete Shakoin was an elder was was very eloquent in pointing out that we're all part of a, a larger circle. We're, we're, we are all part of the circle. We're all human beings, and we each have our own place in the circle. And with patience and with understanding, we can all come to realize that we all come from the same center, which is the Mother Earth. Mm-hmm. And when we all come to that place where we understand how we're all connected and how we all have a place in this circle of life, then everything will come together that we need to understand what we're doing to the earth is is important to our our all of our outcomes mm-hmm. yeah that's so true and and like you said the needing to stop the commodification mm-hmm. i see i mean i don't know if you agree with me or not but i see the struggle um the indigenous struggle also as a struggle against imperialism and against capitalism in a oh, way absolutely mm-hmm. yeah well, thank you so much, Rhonda Anderson, for joining us on the show. We hope to well, continue you, to connect Kleenek. to the work you're doing. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for having me and lifting up a Native voice. I think it's important to lift up Native voices when and where you can. Um, I think that's a huge part of this this understanding and this struggle that's happening. Yeah, thank you so much, Rhonda, for being